Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to read through verse 8. 1 Peter 4, and beginning at verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The title of the message this afternoon is Arming Yourself for Battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and that is ours to be assembled here to worship and to fellowship one with another to worship you i pray that we worship you in spirit and truth and lord as we look into the word of god i pray that we would uh, have open hearts uh, receptive to hear thy truth and beware and be warned of the enemy that we face daily uh, who seeketh goeth about seeking whom he may devour so, Father, just help us to uh, understand the need we have to arm ourselves with the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you realize we're in a war? There's been a long war since the beginning of time of Adam and Eve. There's been a war between right and wrong, between God and Satan. Of course, that war started in heaven when Satan said, I will be like the Most High. Do you know what he wanted? He wanted that equality. You know, I said this morning, there's no such thing as everything being equal, ever. Well, that's what Satan wanted. He wanted equality with God. You know, we have the equity movement, you know, all that. But anyway... So, ever since that time, there has been a war uh, between right and wrong, and, and it, the war uh, is being fought on earth in the lives of men and women. Men and women were made in the image of God to worship God, to fellowship with God, and Satan has been in a war ever since, seducing God's people and turning them away from that fellowship and relationship with God. And so this history is one long, continuous story of this war. It's a story of victories and defeats, progress and setbacks. All you have to do is read the history of the nation of Israel and you'll see it. If you study history of some churches, you'll see it. 
You know, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 talks about the seven churches of Asia. And, and uh, they, they, almost all of them had some problems they were, they were dealing with and were facing. And if they did not repent, they were in danger of losing their candlestick. And we know they're all gone. But, but you know, it is possible for church, as the church of Corinth was having problems, which they corrected. So there's, it, it goes like that. There's progress in sex back. And we are all affected by this, by how well we arm ourselves for the battle. You know, winning a war has a lot to do with, has everything to do with, how well armed you are. Who is superior? In arms. In preparation. Uh, and so we have to prepare ourselves to battle. And, and, and I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about physical things. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22 the Lord said, when a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. You know, one of the things that you remember, well, most of you are probably not old enough to remember Ronald Reagan and his presidency. You, you've heard us refer to him. But, but he always talked about a strong military, not for the purpose of war, but to keep the peace. See, if nations know you're strong, they're not going to mess with you. Um, we had... You know, during Reagan's administration, there were uh, and was in a particular Arab country that that began to you know cause some problems, and he just sent some missiles over there and, and blew the guy out of bed and killed his son, and that all ended. No more trouble with Neymar Gaddafi. In fact, he became one of the Arab allies we had, and 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 which uh, Barack Obama. Um, uh, had to do with overthrowing that. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But, but no, a strong, he said, if, he, if a strong man arm keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. And so you make that application to your spiritual life. If you want to have peace with God, if you want to have fellowship with God, if you want to have victory with God, you ought to keep your house, yourself, armed. Now, and so we have to prepare ourselves, first of all, we have to prepare ourselves for battle. And verse 1 again says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So if you suffer or put to death, that's the idea here. Verse 2 says that he that no longer should live, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the, in the flesh to the lust of men, but to will of God. So if you if you render the flesh dead, if the flesh is dead and not armed, it w- the f- you will not sin. Do you know what causes you to sin? It's not your spirit. It's your flesh. And so we're to arm ourselves like with the same mindset that Christ had. He, he never submitted to his flesh. In fact, you might say that his motto was, I do always those things that please him. That was his mindset. And again, the word arm here, uh, it, it's talking about the mind. By the way, the war is won and lost in the mind. And what shapes and, and controls your mind is what you put in it. You know, you, they, they talk about, you know, in the computer world, you know, getting rid of trash. 
uh, you know, if you put all trash in, you know, you've got to get the trash out to keep your computer working good, you know. Well, if you put trash in your mind, you're, you're going to think trash. If you put sinful stuff in your mind, you're going to think sin. And you're not only going to think it, you're going to start doing it. You're going to succumb to it. Uh, there was a book written years ago by a guy by the name of Bloom. I can't remember his first name, but anyway, and it, it talked about the battle of the mind. Uh, you know, Satan worked on Eve's mind. She said, yea, hath God said. And so the, the word arm here means to furnish, to equip with weapons. So weaponize your mind. How do you weaponize your mind? You know, your mind speaks of the, the thoughtfulness, the moral understanding, the intents of your, of your, your intents of your heart, your thinking processes. And, of course, what you put in your mind determines those thought processes and governs your actions. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So we have to, for- and we need to fortify our minds with the word of God. You know, we read this morning, Joshua 1, 8 and 9. This look of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So you're meditating or thinking about it in your mind. You're thinking day and night on the word of God. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Psalm 19 and verses 7 through 9 says, uh, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So wouldn't you, don't you want to think about right things? So meditate on the statutes of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord is pure. If you want to be pure, uh, meditate on His commandments. It, they, they enlighten your eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent in the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So, again, we have to arm the mind. Uh, Paul, in the book of, to the, to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, we live, again, we live in a body of flesh. We live in a world of flesh, a world that's given to the lusts of men, and we need to have our minds renewed day by day. A day in, day out. Uh, look at, go to Romans chapter 1 and, and, and look at verses 19 to 23. It says, Because that which may be man of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and God has set the hour of excuse. So it's not that the world doesn't know that there is a God. 
God manifests himself to the whole world through creation. Creation declares the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. But, but verse 21 says, But because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thank him, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now, this is a mind game we're reading about here. People can't understand the wisdom and justice and the person of God and, and, and the cause of sin, so they... Re- they reject him and create an image that they can relate to as mammals or as humans or creatures that are fallen and sinful. They want somebody that like them, that they feel they can relate to and understand. And, and, and instead, of, instead of accepting God for who he is, after all, declares them guilty. He declares them guilty. And so, though they know him, they don't accept him for who he is. I guess it's all something they, they make up. They change the, the glory of the uncorrupted God into an image. So, so they make up an image of what they think God should be like. So, we have to prepare ourselves. We have to equip our mind with weapons to win the battles in life. Now, the war is won. We know from the scriptures how the end comes out. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign forever and ever. The war is won. But there's a lot of battles between now and the end when the war is finally what and that's where you and I are involved in and so we have to prepare ourselves secondly we have to protect ourselves and again verses 1 and 2 for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves likewise with the same mind he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin and no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men but to the will of God now what is a soldier's protection it is equipment with which he has been furnished and he has practiced. Now, from what I understand, I've not been in the military. I have a son that's been in the military, but, and I know people that have been in the military and talk to them, and some of you have been in the military, but, you know, the military equips you. You know, when you go into the military... You don't, you don't have to buy your own gun or your own knives. Well, if you want extra knives, you can buy them yourself. But, you know, they, whatever, whatever equipment that you need to fight the battle, it's the responsibility of the military to equip you with it, to equip you. You know, guns, grenades, helmets, compass, maps of the enemy, you know, where they are, you know, intelligence and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you, you, could, you could be a fool and say, I don't need all that stuff. I can handle this. I can do this on my own. I'm a one-man army. You know. I don't need your help, thank you, Uncle Sam. I got this. Good luck. 
You know what we do so often? Oh, I can handle this. Lord, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I got this. I'm strong. I, I, won't, I won't fall into sin. You know, there was many times that Israel was presumptuous and not followed the Lord into battle. Even though they were supposed to take the land and they got defeated. Moses became presumptuous, in fact. And one time Moses, you know, was out visiting his brother and he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew and so he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And the next day he sees two Hebrews striving together and, and he, he tries to set them apart and, and says, why do you wrong? And, and the guy says to him, you, you know, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Because he thought they should understand that he would deliver them. But you know what? He was the person God used, but he was getting ahead of God. And Israel comes into the promised land, and you know they cross the Jordan River, and the Lord instructs them how to conquer Jericho, and what to do with the goods, the silver, the gold, the garments, and all that. It was supposed to be all dedicated to the Lord, every, every bit of it. But Achan took of the accursed thing. And they see Ai up here. It's a lot smaller than Jericho, so they just send a few thousand men up there thinking, oh, we can just take us no problem. We got this, you know. And they got defeated. And Joshua fell on his face and said, Lord, what are we going to do, you know? Our enemy is going to hear about this. And he said, Lord says, stand up. There's sin in the camp. You see, they tried in the flesh. Hophni and Phinehas thought because they'd take the ark into battle with the Philistines, they used it like a good luck charm. You know, people have good luck charm they have rabbits a rabbit's foot i don't know what good luck about a rabbit but rabbits i've heard people having rabbit's foots you know or or uh, you know, one of the things that people like is they have these little little statues of angels you know that they carry with them or you know some kind of good luck charm and they think because they have that that good is going to come to them well that's what Hophni and Phineas thought because they take the ark of the covenant into battle with the philistines surely god would give them victory you know what God did? He allowed the Philistines to capture the ark. See, that was presumption on their part. The problem wasn't, had nothing to do with the ark. The problem had to do with Hophni and Phinehas and their wickedness before God. See, no soldier protects himself except by using things that have been prepared for him. So when temptation, trials, and troubles come, we can be victorious by applying the word of God to life. So as we meditate upon the word of God, and as we uh, uh, apply these words to life, make application to them, obey them, God gives us victory. Again, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. 
Then verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. If you have the mind of Christ, the mindset that I do always those things that please him, how are you going to do those things that please him if you don't know what they are? And that goes back to meditating day and night in the word of God. You know, sometimes we look at things, other things sometimes we do is we look at, we look at things or we, we read things in the Bible that or commands he has given and we say there's no way we can do that. You know, that's saying that God isn't very big. That's like saying God is just like I am. He's limited. It's like saying God doesn't have the resources nor the power to do the impossible. You know, when, a, when soldiers go to battle, they're supposed to be, and I preface that, supposed to be, because, you know, anyway, they're supposed to be an endless supply of equipment and weapons at their disposal. All they need to do is ask. Because it's supposed to be supplied. You see, all we have to do is ask. Because we have an endless supply of power from our God who can do that which is impossible. You know, God can bring the walls of Jericho down. He can open the gates of the prison so that Peter can go out free. And cause these guards to be in a deep sleep so that they don't hear the gate creak as it opens. You know, there have been those who smuggled stuff into foreign co- or into communist countries and have testified how it seemed that God just blinds my eyes of the guards so they get pie. But sometimes we think that in our day of modern, contemporary living, God can't do that anymore. We sang this morning that he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. We serve the same God. But we understand whose battle this is. You know, in 2 Samuel 5, it says, And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Raphim. And David inquired of the Lord. Now, David was an experienced warrior. He had already won many battles against the Philistines. But, but it says, David inquired of the Lord. And, and, you know, he could have said, I know what to do. I'll just go do it. But, no, he inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, Thou shalt not go up. But fetch a compass behind them, and upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be, when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. See, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord entered into the battle. When we inquire of the Lord, the Lord enters into our battles. But God does not going to force himself into your life. 
if you don't want them there. If you think you can handle it on your own, that's, very, that's pride, and God hates pride. He, he's not going to join you in your pride. What David is showing here is that he has submitted to God, to God and to God's will, and he's humble enough to, to realize that I need God's help no matter how experienced a warrior I am. Now, in verses four or three and four, it gives us a list of things that we need to apply the word to that, w- that the word of God will protect us from. And, of course, it has to do with the life of our flesh, which should be in the past. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. So when we were, we were unsaved, we lived like the Gentiles, like the lost, like the world. Uh, according to the, to the, to the uh, uh, well, how does Ephesians 2 say, um, according to the wickedness of this world, something like that. Anyway, for the time past of our, of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked. And here's the things we walked in. Here's the things that the Gentiles walk in. And, and if we're not uh, arming ourselves with the right mindset, filling our minds with the word of God to give us victory, we will be guilty of these things as well. Lasciviousness. That's unbridled lust, a lack of restraint. It could be various things. could be spending, eating, gaming, sensual things, but there's other words here that have to do with sensual things. So it's just an unbridled, uncontrolled uh, uh, flesh that, you know, that, that's given over to its passions. Uh, lust, the word lust here is longing for that which is forbidden, moral sins of the flesh. That's, that's a big one in our world, in our country especially. Um, and we, we was uh, in Sunday school this morning talking about the Moabites. That's what they were. They were people of the flesh, and their women flaunted the flesh, and that's how they deceived and seduced the children of Israel. Uh, wine, that speaks of drunkenness, uh, revelings, riding, making merry, constant partying, party, party, partying, banquetings is uh, binge drinking, binge parties, abominable idolatries is is unlawful worship or worship contrary to the word of God. You know, and, and our again, our world is filled with. Uh, these abominable idolatries where churches have made God and made a church like they, like they want, not like what God has prescribed in his word. The contemporary, the carnival church. I call it the carnival church because it's like carnival. You know, we have cowboy church. We have home church. Uh, you know, TV church now. Or... Uh, or um, you know, Skype church and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not New Testament church. And he, and he says this, this kind of thing, abominable idolatries, is abominable to God. And so, you know, we have to arm ourselves 
Because that's what we did in the past. You, you, know, you, know, you and I know, both know that the longer we lived in, in, in sin, the, the harder it is to change the habits. Because sin is a habit. It becomes a habit. And the longer you dwell therein, the harder it's going to be to get over it. But you can. Because, again, God is a God of all power. But we have to understand that it is he that giveth us the victory. It is he that equips us by the power of his spirit. And, and so we need to have faith and trust and confidence in him. You know, some may say, well, I want to be a better Christian. I want to have victory in my walk with the Lord. Well, put, trust God. Have faith in God. You know, faith is obeying God regardless of circumstances, consequences, or feelings. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That is preaching and teaching of the word of God. You know, faith is putting God in the battle with you. It is the outworking of the word of God. And, you know, faith doesn't say, is it sensible? But is it scriptural? Faith doesn't ask, what if? And so often we say, well, if I do that, what if? No, what is written? Faith doesn't ask, is it reasonable? But is it by divine revelation? Faith doesn't ask, what do people think? But what saith the Lord? Faith doesn't demand proof. Faith is the proof. Faith doesn't demand evidence, for faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we just need to have faith and trust and confidence in the Lord and put no confidence in the flesh, Paul said. And so, we are to arm ourselves. Look at, look at Ephesians 6. talks about this as well. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of, notice it's His might, put on the whole armor of God. So it's God's armor that you put on. Just like if you were in the military, you would use the military to provide you with the things necessary to arm yourself and to protect yourself and to be on the offense. Uh, put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that is the tricks, the attacks, uh, the seduction of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having, put on, the, having on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, you know like, like a flak jacket kind of a thing. So, so uh, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So if you have a, a strong confidence and trust in God, it will cause you not to say, oh, God can't. Instead, you'll say, oh, yeah, my God can. My God can sustain me. My God can strengthen me. My God can help me. That's what faith does. Because I go that my God has all power and all knowledge. And then verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, so arm yourselves with the Word of God. You know, when friends tempt you, Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, 
when sinners, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and he understood thou shalt not commit adultery, and he fled and got him out. You're tempted to lie. Ephesians 4.25 says, put away lying. Colossians 3.9 says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. That lying is of the flesh. It's of the old man. It's of the past life. It's not for the child of God. What about your speech? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. You know, cursing, minstos. That's, that's of the past. Don't have a corrupt mouth. What you're saying to the world, if you have a corrupt mouth, is, I'm not a Christian. I don't talk like one. You know, when Peter was standing by the fire, you know what they said to him? Your speech bewrayeth thee. In other words, Peter, your speech is betraying you. It's giving you away. You can say whatever you want, but you're from Galilee. We can tell by your speech. Can the world tell by your speech where you're from? Or who you are? They ought to be able to. I remember years ago, we were working on a silo unloader. I hated silo unloaders. I hate silos. So we're working on a silo unloader, and I've got a chisel and a hammer. And I was whacking away at a, a rusty nut, I think, that wouldn't come loose. And... I was trying to cut it with a chisel. Now, I've done it before, but it takes a lot of hammering with a chisel to cut a nut. Well, I missed the chisel at one point, and you know what I hit? My thumb. You know, of course, ah, you know, and, and the family that I was working for, the son was there, and he was worldling, and, and he said, Oh my, and didn't even swear. See, your, your speech gives you away. It betrays you. Let no corrupt communication. Anger, be ye angry and sin not. Careful with your anger. Worry or fret. Be, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 says... Let your moderation be done on all men, Lord, at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you worry and fret all the time? I remember there was a, a guy who I knew and who was a milk tester. So he would go to dairy farms. Every month the milk tester would come around and check the, how much, uh, the weight of how much each cow was producing, and so then they would tell you at the end of the year how much that cow produced for the year, and they would also test butter fat and all that and so on. And, you know, you kept those records. That helped you under, to, to know how much grain you, you gave that cow, how much protein, how much corn for energy, and so on and so forth. You know, those cows eat better than we do, just, just telling you. Uh, I don't care what, you know, these... Uh, 
animal lovers say dairy farmers treat their cows very well because that's how they make their money. But anyway, so this milk tester is going around, and he was at this farm that I knew of the, the family. They went to a Nazarene church there in Petersburg, and, you know, professing Christians, and he said, the guy just worries and worries and worries about everything. And here's this unsaved milk tester, and he was telling this other person, I know, he just worries about everything. He said, finally, I told him one day, how can you say you're a Christian and you worry about everything? No, the Bible says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Um, need wisdom for life? The answers of thy word giveth light, giveth understanding unto the simple. You know, so we need to arm ourselves. The word of God, if we meditate on it, will give us wisdom and guidance to deal with every situation in life. And when you arm yourself with the Lord of God, you're putting the Lord in the battle with you. It's taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's taking it with you. It's taking it with you. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow as the cern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So as you're tempted... If your mind is filled with the Word of God and you're tempted, God can bring to mind a passage of Scripture which will tell you, don't. Or a passage of Scripture that will say, do. I mean, it's just like when you were in school, you learned that 4 plus 4 equals 8. And you put that in your mind. And so when somebody tries to tell you that 4 plus 4 is 9, you're going to say, no, it's not. See, it's what you fill your mind with. Your thinking processes are going to affect whether you succumb to the flesh or follow the Spirit. And the word of God needs to fill your mind. There's a practice here. So we see the, we need to uh, prepare ourselves. We need to protect ourselves. Uh, there's a practice witnessed here in verse 4. It says, wherein, of course, verse 3 talks about our past. He says, wherein they think it strange. In other words, the, the world Think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. So they think it strange. Now, the world's going to think you strange. That word strange means they're going to they're be astonished at or astonished at the novelty that you're not led into their sin or under the dominion or influence of their sin. Because they are. The world's under the dominion. They're, under, they're in the hand of the devil. They lie comfortably in the hand of the devil. The world lieth in sin. 1 John 5 verse 19 tells us that. And so the world's going to be astonished or think it's strange that you don't run to that same excess of right anymore. You don't live to please the flesh anymore. You can say no to those things by the power of God. It's the same word that's used in Athens, at Athens, 
by Paul in, in Acts 17.20, the Athenians said that Paul brought strange things to their ears. Oh, this, this is some new novelty that, I mean, you're talking about a resurrection from the dead. And so, so the world's going to look at you like, hmm, you're kind of strange. This is kind of a novelty that you just don't live to please yourself. Live to please your flesh. That you are like Christ now. You have this mindset that I live to please God. And they speak evil. That is, they may revile you or speak disrespectfully or disdain you or consider beneath their dignity. You know, the world has this mindset that, oh, you just haven't had the experience. Does one have to drink to know what the effects are of drinking? Do you have to smoke marijuana to know what the effects are of marijuana? I know those are dumb questions, but you know that's what the world thinks. You just haven't experienced it. And they speak evil of you. You understand something. I was thinking about this in Sunday school class this morning. That if you live for God, you may be the most respected person on one hand and the most hated on the other by the same people. Nehemiah was very respected. He was also very hated. And the world's going to think strange of you. They're going to look at you like a calf looks at a new gate. Where'd you come from? You know, I think, I think on the day of Pentecost when Peter stands up and there's these people that said to him, hey, you're one of his disciples, and he said, I know not the man. And they're probably in the crowd. And Peter stands up, and he's preaching, they're probably thinking, wait a minute. We've seen him before. What happened to him? This is kind of strange. I mean, before, he wouldn't even admit he knew the guy. And here he is. Pointing his finger at us and saying, we're the ones that put him to death. Kind of strange, huh? We see also here that this prepares them for judgment. It says in verse 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So, so, you know, this prepares them for judgment. They must get, that helps them to realize they must give an account. And so our lives in the flesh should vindicate or indicate that we are living by the Spirit or in the Spirit for God. We should not be living in the flesh. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, and we'll be done here. Romans 8. Verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> but again, if we're going to do that, we have to continually, and, and this is a continual thing, like we heard this morning about acknowledging the truth. That's a continuous pro- process. And this is a continuous process also. We need to arm ourselves daily. As Paul said, I die daily. Romans 8, 8 and 9 says this. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're going to live after the flesh, you can't please God. But 
ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And, of course, verse 13 says, uh, verse 12 and 13, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live out of the flesh. For if ye live out of the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we need to arm ourselves with the truths of the Word of God, being sensitive, submissive to the leading of the Spirit of God, allowing Him to, to manifest Himself in our life, trusting in His grace and His power to have victory over sin. Putting on the armor of God, not our own armor. We're not sufficient. Paul said we're not sufficient in ourselves. And our spiritual life should be evident, does give evidence by what we do in this body. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. What? No, you're not. Your body is the temple of God. In other words, it's the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirits, which are God's. See, the body is a dwelling place of the Spirit. It's also the flesh. But we're not to submit to the flesh. We're to render it dead. We're to have the mindset of Christ to cease from sin. But arm ourselves with the word of God and the sword of the spirit so that we can be victorious in our walk with the Lord. We are in a war. We're, we're going we're to face many battles, spiritual battles in life. They can be won or lost. All depending on what you do in preparing yourself, arming yourself, with the things that God has given for you to have. But you must put on the whole armor of God.